0: Most of all, you get the most delightful 30 minutes of your week. So dig in. It's breakfast time. Listen at breakfast.com, Apple Podcasts, or wherever fine podcasts are found.
1: He never gives up, he'll stay till the fight. One
2: Buddy and welcome back to your favorite G.I. Joe podcast show. This is 2020, and this is Knowing is Half the Podcast. And I am Ray Stacanus.
3: i Clark Chan.
4: I'm Gina Ippolito. And she's testing her, <laughs> changing her headphone
2: <laughs> levels right there. And normally we would talk about an episode of G.I. Joe. We talk about an episode of, I don't know, Transformers or Street Sharks or Mummies Alive.
4: You, did you, are you forgetting all the cartoons that we did? You're looking at We've us like we have done hundreds
2: of cartoons. I mean, those are all <laughs> ones that we have done. That's true. It's all true. But today is a very special episode. Today is a very different episode, for we have a very special guest here with us at Chanshin 3 Season of The Witch. We are joined by voice talent extraordinaire and G.I. Joe uh, actor, among millions of other things, <laughs> Neil Ross is with us here today. That's Yay. right, folks,
1: star of stage, screen, and reefer parties. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm here to share the love. Well, uh, we're here to share it with you, so we that, absolutely excellent, appreciate excellent. that.
4: We've I mean, been talking about this for quite a while. Yes, we in, have. In hopes to get you on.
2: That is true. I mean, and, and I could say, like, the, the, the way I went about it as far as this was just, you popped up as on Facebook, yeah. the, the greatest website known to man, and you popped up <laughs> as a suggested friend. Oh, because mm-hmm. you're friends with Buzz. Because I'm, you know, friends with Buzz Dixon, uh, mm-hmm. Flint Dilly, and, and some of the other yeah. crowd, and and I sort of like laughed. I just went, "Why not? <laughs> Let's take a shot. Who knows sure. what's going to happen here?" And you were so uh, uh, nice and accepted the request, and so what the heck, we reached out and said, "Let's see if we can make this thing happen."
1: Well, I've been doing quite a few podcasts, and uh, most of them I've enjoyed uh, quite a bit.
2: Oh, uh, excellent. So. Well, we, we're sorry to let the streak come yeah, to an so, end.
5: <laughs> uh, unfortunately, this,
1: I guess, will not be one of them, but uh, <laughs> it's all right. Oh, no. I've it's, ruined it already. God. God. Well, Neil, thanks for showing up. Yeah. Bye. No. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Which way to the freeway again? I, I never have been able to figure out North Hollywood. This, this means nothing to listeners in Calcutta, but the, the, somehow the transition between Burbank and North Hollywood, it all goes in different angles and street names change. And I've been banging around this place for 30 plus years, and I still haven't figured it out. It's yeah. fine.
2: People who live here haven't figured it out either yeah, You know, yeah, for it's... a long, long time. I mean, to be fair, you have the, the you have streets that go north, you have streets that go south, <laughs> you have streets that go east and west. <laughs> in North Hollywood, you have streets that go in curves, yeah. streets that go straight for a while north and then suddenly veer east, and it stays the same streets. And, and the, look the, some at streets vitri. go
1: right oblique, as we used to say in right. the military. It's very, I, mean, I don't want to get hung up on... Uh, the,
2: I mean, let's talk about North Hollywood geography for an hour with let's Neil Lass. Let's <laughs> not.
4: <laughs> I will say that I still I still ways here every single time. You I live about three minutes away, and I still <laughs> punch it into my GPS.
1: <laughs> and you live in North Hollywood. And- I,
4: uh, Valley Village, which oh, is North me. Hollywood adjacent, yeah, sir. Okay.
1: Sorry. I was coming here with Waze, but I th- I didn't like what the lady was suggesting. Oh, Was it vulgar? So I, or- <laughs> no, no, I just thought it was illogical, so oh, okay. I... Uh, I was insubordinate. I said, "I'm not doing that, Miss Missy." <laughs> you know, I've lived here longer than you are. I don't even know who the hell you are. <laughs> it's just a, a disembodied voice. And she said, "Well, so are you to most people." So, really, oh, I
2: guess I mean, that's, that's a true. fair point. That's yeah, right? yeah. That's, you know, the hard truths are the most important ones. Yeah.
1: It's
3: rough know. when the AI turns on you.
4: <laughs> We're all headed in that direction.
2: Yeah. Well, I may as well like start with the uh, uh, you know the the nominal idea of the podcast and and talk about G.I. Joe for a little bit here because okay, of the I people can do at that. home, if you don't know, and I won't get all the names because I'm doing it off the top of my head, but uh, Neil did the voice of Shipwreck. My favorite. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Dusty, <laughs> as well as Monkey Wrench, Buzzer, Thunder, and two others I'm blanking on right no,
1: now. No, I think you've covered oh, it. Oh, my goodness, there it
4: is. <laughs> Which one's Monkey Wrench?
2: Monkey yeah. Wrench is one of the
1: dreadnoughts.
4: Okay, yep. Uh,
2: he's the one who wears the grenades as the bandolero.
1: Yeah. He was supposed to be Welsh. Was and it supposed they, to be Welsh? Yeah, they said, can you do a Welsh accent? I said, of course.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the answer is always yes. And right? all I did was
1: make the voice deeper and talk like that. No, I have no idea. Awesome. <laughs> if anybody's listening in Wales, they're going, excuse me? What are, it sounds like Hungarian. We but are, they, we are the, big in Wales. The, the producers bought it. That's the main, you know, if they buy it... <laughs> then, the
2: only ones you have to sell yeah. until the check
3: clears, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or it's one of those director things where, like, uh, they feel like they need to make some input. So, like, do Welsh. Do- yes, that's a very good <laughs> job. I've done my part here. I've contributed. Yeah.
4: What? Which one of them was your favorite?
1: Oh, I think of, it had to be Shipwreck for a yes. number of reasons. But the primary reason... And I, I point this out every time I talk about him. If you think about it, all the good guys in G.I. Joe were really, really good. And all the bad guys in g- and, g- and gals in G.I. Joe were really, really bad. Absolutely. Shipwreck was sort of down the middle he wanted to do the right thing but he was kind of insubordinate mm-hmm, he didn't like mm-hmm. to follow rules and so to me he was the most interesting character in the show because he had all these different shadings and yeah. and conflicts and uh, so was... he was a lot of fun to play and now and the lovely thing is the fans loved him and people it, it's astonishing how many years has it been 30 plus years and mm-hmm. people yeah. still remember that character and I get to go to conventions and do shows like this. I mean, it, what a gift. So
2: it's not all great, but no.
1: no I mean, it's, it's, it's a horrible life, but I make the best of it. I, this,
2: I remember there's a, a scene in the, uh, the episode Lights, Camera, Cobra, which is the big Hollywood
1: episode. Right.
2: And uh, the, one of the ways that we introduced a shipwreck in that episode is I believe we're at the airport, and the Joe team has been asked to please uh, stop him from harassing the stewardesses. <laughs> And I mean, how many 80s, you know, mid 80s cartoons especially are willing to kind of go there for the bit.
1: I remember Wally was uh, he was comment commenting on the storyboard and I guess the footage when it finally got animated. But they had done a very realistic Hollywood Boulevard Mm -hmm. uh, because it's it's cleaned up somewhat since those days. But back then, you know, Hollywood Boulevard, certain sections of it. I wouldn't walk down there in broad daylight. I mean, you take your life in your hands, yeah. and uh, now it's just
2: your soul in your hands. Yeah. That's
1: all. I, I you know I haven't I haven't been down Hollywood Boulevard in ages. But uh, there's a lovely McDonald's there.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. they added a Chick Fil A. Everything went downhill. No, well,
1: I, I, I tried to I, I, I was on um, I was trying to eat at Musso Frank. And I couldn't get in. That's the last time I went to oh, no. Now, for, again, for those of you in vast uh, different places, uh, that restaurant is prominently featured in the movie Once Upon a Time in Hollywood.
4: Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and, and it's, it's finding its way into other shows. It's, it's practically a regular character in uh, uh, the... Kaminsky method okay mm-hmm. uh almost every episode they're eating at moose so somehow they can get a table
4: <laughs> yeah just tell them you're on a Chuck Lorre show that's how you yeah that's how you get I, it I, oh,
1: that, is that the trick okay or <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll, yeah. I'll just tell them out.
2: you are filming an episode of the Kaminsky method and it's yeah. just with hidden cameras well, and just get in the door that way. Uh, uh,
1: I don't know uh,
4: <laughs> so shipwreck was the was the focal point of what was probably my favorite episode because it was the most disturbing episode oh, sure. of of mm. GI Joe ever, which I like, uh, which was Welcome to Springfield. Yeah, there's no right? place like there's Springfield. no place like Springfield, yeah. uh, and that was that was it, it makes all these top ten lists of. The, the most disturbing things that they put yeah, into G.I. Yeah. Joe. <laughs> and we talked to, was it Buzz that told us that originally it, it had an even more disturbing ending and they, they sort of tweaked yeah, yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. There where was they like... showed the fake daughter with a bazooka?
2: Yeah, and... <laughs> well, that was the when it originally aired and for the people at home right now, because we all know, obviously. But uh, in that episode, Shipwreck is kidnapped by Cobra over two episodes and he, he's knocked out and wakes up in a suburban world where all of his G.I. Joe's uh, uh, compatriots, as well as uh, Mara, who was the, the mermaid lady from the oh, earlier episode, yeah, is his yeah, wife. Right. And he has a young child, a daughter. It's very Twilight Zone. Yeah, but the whole thing is the entire thing is a ruse because Cobra wants some secret details that are imprinted in his head. And if they say a certain catchphrase or something, they can trigger it coming out and get the secret formula or whatever the heck they're trying to find. And what's really great about this is the end, end, end of the two part episode was um, shipwreck comes home to kind of save his family from a burning building (laughs) only to have them draw guns and his daughter draws a RPG rocket launcher on him in the living room. Yeah. And I believe it aired one time and then the the censor's finally like, wait, we let you do what?
4: It was uh, oh, it was great though it was so yeah, so disturbing
1: or you found out going to a lot of these conventions is in between GI Joe and Transformers we traumatized
5: <laughs> uh, n-
1: millions of 13 year old kids you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, in between that kind of thing and then of course uh, Optimus Prime dying oh yeah <clears throat> I mean that that was a lot of young people that that's like the most traumatic thing that happened to them in their early adolescence it's, it's
2: well and, and seeing Duke allegedly die only to have it rewritten with some yeah. video at the very yeah. end like oh he's fine don't worry about it go, oh,
1: okay, well, cool. well by then the Transformers movie had come out and bombed and they realized this, this concept of killing the hero in the middle of the movie somehow doesn't work who knew you know I, I liken it to it's like you hire Tom Cruise to be the star of your action movie and halfway through the movie his character dies and get, gets replaced by some schmuck you've never met and, and, and then they won't I wonder why it tanks.
2: Yeah, it's not going to make a lot of money, but it could win an Academy Award like No Country for Old Men, though, right? Yeah, right? It, it, it <laughs> just,
1: well, you know, what it was, they wanted to introduce more characters mm-hmm. so they could sell more toys. Mm-hmm. And that's how they chose to do it. But I I don't think they respected their audience. They did not realize how much the fans loved uh, Optimus Prime and, mm-hmm. and Peter Cullen's wonderful... Uh, vocal rendering of that character which was so wonderful that it's gotten him into the feature films and all the rest of it and uh You know, we actors knew the minute we looked at the script, we said, this is, this is not going to (laughs) work, but you know, ours not to wonder why ours, but to do or die, but to get back to shipwreck, I I don't know if you're interested in where the the genesis of that voice. Uh, I believe
2: that. Yes. In fact, we are.
1: Okay. (laughs) And I chronicle this in my book, which we're going to talk about at some point. I've written a book about my life, basically my life, professional life. There's not much about my personal life in there because I, I didn't want it to get that dull. But um, it's called Vocal Recall, subtitled A Life in Radio and Voiceovers, mm-hmm. and that kind of tells the tale. So one of the stories I tell is how I got this part. And usually I don't remember auditions. I've trained myself not to remember auditions because the failure rate in, in this business is, is mm-hmm. just horrendous. I mean, at the most productive period of my career where I was just knocking it out of the park, I would average one job for every 11 auditions, which sounds crappy, but (laughs) some people do hundreds of auditions without getting a job. So I was actually smoking hot. But the point is, it's one yes for every 11 no's. Mm -hmm. And if you dwell on every audition, you drive yourself insane. So the best advice I ever got was from an old timer. He said, listen, do the audition like it's a job. And as soon as you get out of there, forget it. Forget <laughs> it as quick as you can. So most auditions, I have amnesia. I've even forgotten work. But this one I remember because it was so unique. So I come in. as a picture of a sailor. There's a one-paragraph description of the character. In I go. I start to do voices. And I'm peeking through the window, and I can tell everybody is really underwhelmed by what I'm doing. And there was a guy who was actually sitting in the studio in a chair. And after about the third take, I was ready to go, well, that's all I've got. Thanks for having me. And he, he, he said, have you ever seen a movie called The Last Detail? Boy, the light bulb exploded over my head. If you're not familiar with it, it's a lovely little movie that starred a fella named Jack Nicholson. And he did so good in that movie that he was nominated for Best Actor. He didn't win, but he was nominated. And it's funny, a year or two later, suddenly one flew out of the, uh, over the cuckoo's nest, came out, and then Chinatown, and people kind of forgot about the last detail. But in it, he plays a sort of ne'er-do-well sailor, Billy uh, Badass Badusky. <laughs> And I, thank goodness, had seen the movie. And I thought, I know what they want. And there's a scene in that movie that happens in a bar, and that's what was in my mind. You can find it on YouTube. Mm -hmm. Put in Last Detail Jack Nicholson bar scene, and it'll come up. And so I... For years, I had been doing this sort of all-purpose stoner voice, you know, guys, you know, smoking a little weed now and then, uh, you know, and and people would sort of sometimes say, that sort of sounds Jack Mm Nicholson-ish. And I thought, wow, what if I take that stoner voice and I take the bong away from him and Give him about a pot and a half of coffee until he gets kinda wired and kind of crazy and and then he starts to sound like this and I start to do the voice and I read the audition in that voice and cut. And the guy in the corner says, You got it. <laughs> oh my
5: goodness. Which is
1: usually the kiss of death. Yeah. Every time they say you got it, you don't got it. But this was the one exception. About a week later I got the call. My agent said, You got the sailor part, sweetie. <laughs> And, uh, so that's how shipwreck, or at least my part of shipwreck came to be. And, uh, well,
2: that taught, that teaches actually a few different lessons right there for any actors at home or voice, voice actors. I mean, it's the same thing is uh, one, have a great reference level.
4: Yeah. Watch uh, be, every Jack, watch a movie ever made, just watch
2: everything. <laughs> like, you know, don't keep yourself away from certain types of media because you never know yeah. what's suddenly going to hit you or what somebody's going to ask you about that you, would be very important to that moment. You know, a
1: lot of what. I have done over the years is me sort of recycling stuff that I heard on radio when I was a kid, because I'm just old enough to have caught the tail end of the golden age of radio when they did radio drama. It was was just like uh, primetime television. It was cop shows, quiz shows, comedies, uh, drama and uh, I, I heard quite a lot of that. And then then watching old movies, which they don't run on television anymore. But really, if you're an aspiring voice talent, put on Turner Classic Movies mm-hmm. and listen to the voices of some of those actors in the 40s and 50s. Most of them came out of a stage background, and they had these astonishing voices uh, and I'm just constantly without not even realizing who I'm stealing it from. I'm stealing a voice from some guy from the '40s.
2: Well, thankfully they don't you know. need it anymore.
1: No, then, yeah, they're not using it. So what the hell? <laughs> you know. Did oh. you do any stage work? Uh, no, no, hmm. no. It's it's funny. I I as you will learn if you read the book. I I started out in radio as a disc jockey. Mm. I mean that
2: that that tracks. That yeah. makes a lot of sense. That's very cool.
1: And yeah, yeah. um. You know, I just I never sort of had any desire to do theater or 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 try to get in movies or television. It all seemed like something I couldn't possibly ever do. But somehow I thought I think I can do this disc jockey job.
5: Mm-hmm.
1: And I I became quite obsessed with the idea and I ended up doing it for about 20 years. Oh my goodness. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I was sort of a late comer to voiceovers. I really didn't get rolling till I was almost 40 years old. Oh wow. Mm-hmm. But back then, that was actually young the real heavy hitters were all in their 50s and 60s. Mm -hmm. It's not like that today at all.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, there's so much
1: young talent coming up right now that's uh, hopefully learned so much. Well, there's also an emphasis on youth. They don't really want people to sound old. I mean, I look at commercials on television that are obviously meant for senior citizens. It's stuff about high blood pressure and God knows what else. And it's all these elderly people playing with their grandchildren. (laughs) And the voiceover sounds like Doogie Howser. (laughs) Do you have high blood pressure? Take some of these; they're great. <laughs> you know, because obviously, well, these old people—they don't want to be thought of as old. Oh, we don't want an announcer who sounds like this. <laughs> we want a guy who sounds like this—youthful. I mean, fun. I would buy pills from that guy. You know, for sure. high blood pressure is fun. <laughs> <clears throat> so, anyway, you know, but back then. It was all the old guys. Mm-hmm. So I'm 40 years old, and they're calling me kid. <laughs> hey, kid, you getting any work? Uh, I'm <laughs> trying, sir. You know. Well, you, you talked about it before, but let, let's let's do the hard sell on
2: the book right now. Let's okay. talk about it. You know, vocal recall. Yeah. Um, Great title, by the way. I love this title yeah. so much. Yes, yes, yes. And uh,
1: he's pulling one out of his bag. Visual <laughs> aid. Where where is the camera? <laughs> um uh, In a, the mind's eye. <laughs>
3: yeah. This is we're creating theater of the mind. Yeah, so right, I'm, I'm, take I'm
4: holding the book
1: up
3: and now. Put it on sorry.
4: our put it on our Facebook and yes, Instagram. And, and I'm
2: gonna say right now is and I haven't really expressed this at all, but we're gonna be picking up and a uh, copy of vocal recall ideally neil if you'd be happy to sign it for us and oh, we're going sure. to be giving it away to one of our patrons on patreon oh great uh, we're going to like That's take awesome. care of them that way so i don't mm. know exactly how we're going to do it probably some sort of a random dice roll based on who uh uh, uh responds to me cuz i like attention <laughs> but um we're absolutely going to for you guys at home uh uh yeah, we're gonna we're gonna be hooking people up with the book. We're getting copies. We're all we're gonna get as many copies as we possibly can today. Yeah. I guess is what we're trying to say right now. So, uh, thank you for bringing them. first Oh, off. sure, sure and, sure. and and thank you for that. But tell us about the book yeah. and, and how the book came about.
1: Yeah, it's it was an odd thing. I I never in a million years thought I could write a book. It's a very daunting process. I'm a fairly good writer, but I'm lazy as hell, <laughs> and I can't type worth a damn. And Although computers, I, this never would have happened if, if somebody hadn't invented the computer. Because with, with a typewriter, I, oh. I just make so many mistakes. It's ridiculous. But this thing, you can go back and clean up and fix things. It's, it's a miracle. Anyway, I did a live show uh, with Rob Paulson. Are you familiar with I him? am. I, be- I
2: believe I listen to uh, the podcast. And when you talk to yeah. him, I believe. Yeah.
1: yeah. So he, he, he does this show called Talkin' Tunes mm-hmm. on the Internet. And sometimes he takes it live to a venue. And he wanted to do a, a show on the Transformers oh. at uh, the Improv in Hollywood. And he asked me if I would come and participate. And I, I was kind of leery about it because the Improv, it's like a comedy club. I mean, <laughs> huge, you know, Seinfeld has played there. What the hell am I going to do? <laughs> but I get down there and it's all Transformers fans. And it was just a Q&A and a and it went. Beautifully, I had a ball. I loved it. I, I, I was so unhappy when it ended. And I wanted to do it all night long. But anyway, uh, so I thought, wow, what if I write a monologue? And then I could book myself in places, and I'll do the monologue and then take questions. And so I start writing this monologue. And uh, all I can say is it got out of hand. <laughs> I hear that's how Shakespeare started. Could, yeah. could very well, you know, all he wanted to do was knock out a couple of sonnets, and look what happened. So have
2: you thought about who's going to record for the bo- uh, audible version of the book yet?
1: Well, uh, I couldn't get Stacy Keach, <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, you know, it's, a, it's quite amazing. It was a highly competitive audition, and I won. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh. Wow. Yeah, so- there actually is an audio version now. Oh, I'm sure there is. Uh, I would
5: hope so. Yeah. <laughs>
1: So, you can actually hear me read this dribble. That's
5: great. <laughs> but <laughs>
1: That's but awesome. anyway, uh, th- then I got to a certain point. Of thought, I thought, can't, I can't possibly write a book. It's, it's, it's impossible. And I played a mental game with myself. You're not writing a book, you're just writing this chapter. What happens after that is anybody's <laughs> guess. And I would just go chapter after chapter. And when I got to a certain point, I thought, you know, I think I'm actually going to finish this thing. <laughs> and I did. And so that's that's how it came to be. And it's longer than war and peace. <laughs> but it was even longer. I cut a bunch of stuff. And it, this may happen in this interview or not. But I'm prone to saying... Well, here's a story. I think it's in the book. <laughs> and the, re- the reason is I I cut stuff and then I put stuff back in, and I cut and I did read the book, proofread it th- uh, three times, read it aloud twice for the audio book, mm-hmm. but at this point I'm I'm forgetting what's in here and what isn't, so. <laughs> That may come up. So that's a long-winded explanation, but that's how it came to be written.
2: That's fantastic. And I'm glad it is written, first off. Uh, Me too. Yeah, these are stories that need to be told. Like, this is, uh, especially, you know, given uh, some of the era of the 80s and 90s. Mm -hmm. And I know you've done a lot of stuff since, and a lot of video game work, which I Mm -hmm. definitely want to ask about. Um, But these are just the stories that people need to hear, because this is such an impressive and important era in sort of uh, entertainment for my generation, especially Mm -hmm. for we Gen X kids out there. Yeah. Um, and it's it's just impactful and meaningful, and you know we're just so happy that uh, to hear it.
1: Yeah, it was an amazing period. It really was. Mm-hmm. We uh, we were so lucky, we actors, because uh, as again I chronicle this in the book. It all had to do with Ronald Reagan getting elected, believe it or not, and he was a big proponent of deregulation, and he put a guy in charge of the FCC who was a big proponent of deregulation, and they took a lot of the restrictions off of children's television, which made. Suddenly, it was it was uh, economically feasible to run syndicated animated shows in the afternoons. Remember, this is before cable. Mm-hmm. There's no cable. So these are all running on independent uh, television stations mm-hmm. in the afternoons, and that's where you all saw them. That wouldn't have been possible four or five years earlier. when wow. I first got to town and I, the first agent that I met, he liked my uh, my animation reel very much. But he said, it's hopeless. Uh, There's just a few shows, Hanna-Barbera, and they hire the same five people over and over again. You'll never break in. And that was probably true at that point, but within a very short time, that whole picture went out, and suddenly shows are popping up left, right, and center, Mm -hmm. and uh, uh, we actors who were lucky enough to be here at the time, I mean, it was was astonishing Mm -hmm. for a few years. I had to carry a little cassette player around in my car and I'd arrive at a session and I'd go, all right, who am I playing in this? Okay. (laughs) And I would have to listen to the reference tape on the little tape (laughs) player in my car so I knew what I was going to do when I got there. That was
2: actually a question I had for you uh, from earlier was you say you forget about the auditions Mm -hmm. as soon as you walk out the room. So have you had an audition that you've just nailed? They ask you to come do the part and you say, great, what was it?
1: (laughs) Oh, uh, yeah, sure. But they're smart enough to... uh, save the winning okay. audition so they say would you like to hear a reference and you say boy howdy <laughs> <laughs> because if you don't play it you ain't gonna get it
2: no. <laughs> so, we'll be here all day <laughs> Just yeah, it's,
1: well it's funny because and again this is in the book but some people seem to have the idea that <clears throat> they, they they'll, they'll ask me how many voices do you do and my answer is, I have no idea, and I hope I never find out. <laughs> yeah, they seem to think I have twenty-three voices, oh. and I show up at an audition and I say, "Ah, I think for this one I'll use number 11. you know. And, but it's more like, and this is Michael Bell's concept. You know who Michael Bell is? Absolutely. Yeah, he was uh, Duke, obviously, and GI Joe. I'm, I'm asking you if you know who Michael Bell is. <laughs> we,
2: well, we haven't had him on the show yet. Uh, we're hoping to someday, mm-hmm. you know, get him on to to spread our nonsense. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, maybe if he hears you've been on the show, it'll it'll be
1: safer. <laughs> no. <laughs> now, if he hears I've been on, and you you haven't got a chance. <laughs> but anyway, uh, where the hell was I going with this? Oh, um, yeah, Michael Bell's concept. He says what we what voice actors are doing is they're playing vocal Mr. Potato Head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Remember Mr. Potato yeah. Head? Yeah, absolutely. A bunch of noses and ears and glasses and mustaches, and you make the face different. Well, essentially, we're doing that vocally. He's old. He's an old man. Well, he could be an old man like this. Well, he could be an old man like this. He could have an underbite. He could, you know, he could, he could be up at his nose. I mean, he, and he, we're just flailing around, putting ears on and noses and mustaches, praying that somebody goes. That's
2: it. That's what we want. Because yeah, the you people know. in the room who are making yeah. these decisions, they yeah. don't know
1: what they want. Well, yeah. they, no, they really. Ultimately, well, I mean, they, they might have an idea. Mm, but they'll know it when they hear it. Exactly, that's, that's their line. Mm-hmm. Oh, we'll know it when we hear it. So. <laughs> okay. So yeah, a lot of the time you would audition with one eye on the copy and the other eye on through the window of the control room, and you're trying to read body language, you know. Mm-hmm. And you and, and suddenly people are doing, you know, waving and <laughs> jumping up and down. You go, I think I, I think I struck a nerve. You nailed it. <laughs>
4: I feel like this might just be my confirmation bias based on how old we are, but I, I feel like fans of '80s cartoons are the most dedicated cartoon fans. Uh, of any decade Uh, and again it might just be because of of my age but I feel like they always know that they always say oh well he did this voice he did that voice he did this voice he did that voice they, they seem to know. I mean, not because they sound similar, but, but I, just... I
2: can tell you why. It's because we didn't have the internet back then, so <laughs> all we did was watch these cartoons over that's and over again. That's a good again, point. That's And then good try point. to learn as much as we could about them. Yeah,
5: you know, that's a good point. A, As
2: we went. Uh, one question I have is, what was one of the more challenging roles that you had?
1: Challenging. Um,
2: oh, I got a stumper. Yeah. Yeah, or what was the hardest ones <clears throat> to
4: find? Yeah.
1: Boy, that is stumping me. I've... You know the, the the challenging stuff was where I, I showed up for an audition and just couldn't rise to the occasion.
2: We've, every man's been there. Couldn't
1: no. <laughs> couldn't come up with something that they wanted. That 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 probably was the most challenging. Once I found the 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 groove or the the character that or the sound that they wanted, I was off to the races. The only problem you would have is some of the some of the characters like the Transformers. I did. Uh, Slag and them. bone pressure and those those got to be fairly painful in, oh, in mr yeah. throat if Wally wanted 157 takes you know which he frequently did and uh, my
2: understanding is that they they would always take it he'd take it as long as he possibly could during the uh, recording process is uh, is that correct he
1: he probably his sessions were probably the longest of any director I ever worked with but I'm sitting in your sumptuous living room today because of a show that he directed. I go to these conventions because of two shows he directed. Mm-hmm. I, I do podcasts because of two shows. He directed. If I had not been in GI Joe and Transformers, I wouldn't be sitting here, and I wouldn't be going to these conventions. They appear to be the two shows that everybody loves, everybody remembers, everybody reveres. Mm-hmm. People come up to me and say, "Hey, you know, you did this or that," and they'll reference a show, and that's fine. But the the, the real. Uh, crux of the fan base is based on these two shows. Wally did so. I think he would be perfectly justified if he yep. was in this room to say, "Listen, young man, maybe there was a reason they were so long. I'm I got trying. it. I got it right." <laughs> yeah, I'm not trying
2: to criticize the method. It was yeah. just my understanding. But yeah, that, yeah. That he really, he he really wanted to get what he what he wanted, and he yes. would take the time he needed yes. to get it. He
1: he really was uh, uh, a hardworking guy. I mean, I worked for some directors who didn't have a clue. G.I. Joe will return after these messages. Like Zoinks, it's the cable guy. Chinky. Well, now that DirecTV has way more HD channels than cable, yeah! it's no wonder the cable guy tried to stop everyone from switching to DirecTV. And I
3: could have got away with it if it wasn't for you meddling kids and your dog. Scooby-Doo!
0: <laughs> <laughs> Hook up your new flat screen to over 90 of the best HD channels. Call one 800 DirecTV. tv
1: Now, back to G.I. Joe. I, I don't know if you... You don't have any idea what the visuals are when you do these shows. Sure. They have a storyboard, Mm -hmm. but the actors don't ever get to see it. I mean, logistically, it would be impossible to be thumbing through these things and trying to act. So a big part of a director's job is to tell you what the action is. Mm -hmm. You're out of breath because you're running over here. Then you jump over that. Then you fall off this thing. You know, and and et cetera, et cetera. Well, I worked for some directors. It was obvious they showed up, they had never read the script, they had never looked at the storyboard. This one guy in particular, if you asked him what the action was, he'd get mad at you. And you need to know. I mean That's if my if my character works. goes, yeah. Ah did I did I fall off the couch or did I fall off the Grand Canyon? How big you know, how big does the ah uh, have to And I would ask him a question. He would glare at me. He had this all-purpose answer. It was, why don't you tune in in November? We'll all find out. (laughs)
2: Wait, was this Stan Lee?
1: (laughs) I'm not going to say who it was. No, that's (laughs) fair. We're not here to trash
2: people uh, by any stretch of the imaginations. But if you would like to.
1: (laughs) Well, he's long gone, this guy. But it doesn't matter. The 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 point is, you could tell that some of these guys showed up. They'd never even bothered to look at anything. They Mm -hmm. just showed up and winged it. Wally would arrive sometimes bleary-eyed and say that he'd been up till four in the morning going over the storyboard and the script and making notes and... I mean, sometimes I think he worked harder than he needed to. My, well, uh, you know, my, my thing about Wally is it's like in a military situation, Wally's the commanding officer, and he says, all right, you see that obstacle there? We're going to run at that obstacle. We're going to pound our way through it. We're going to bash it to the, to the ground. We're going to hit and this, and you go, well, excuse me, sir. We could just walk around it. <laughs> That, you know, we could, you're right, we could. But no, I think we're going to hit it head on. And, but you know, he just, he seemed to want to do things the hard way. And, well, he brought all that construction equipment. It would be a shame to just not
2: use yeah, it, right? Yeah.
1: I think it might have had to do with his military background. He was, uh, he served in World War II. He was the youngest, it's in the book, I forget. He was the youngest commissioned officer in the army at oh, one wow. point. Yeah, they made him a lieutenant when he was 19, I think. It was, wow. You know, yeah. He, well,
2: that speaks to character yeah. uh, right yeah. there. For sure. Yeah. He
1: always had a kind of slightly military bearing about him. It was interesting, you know. It,
2: well that fits well in the world of G.I. Yeah. Joe
1: yeah. yeah oh for G.I. Joe it was perfect and he was really loyal to his actors I owe a huge debt to him for my career he hired me when I was a nobody just gave me incidental work and then when he got these shows he would always bring me in and let me read for stuff and help me with the audition I mean I owe, I owe Wally a tremendous amount so I can forgive a tremendous amount yeah you know? well
2: your first role on G.I. Joe was Buzzer am I incorrect yes. about that
1: no you're right that's yeah, right yeah, yeah. Buzzer so, was like, the first
2: They. Br- just trying to like picture the moment where you come in you know uh, still relative relatively new uh, mm-hmm. as far as the industry goes uh, uh unless
1: i'm completely mistaken on that like no you- i was yeah i was i was still in the yeah. the beginner stage yeah I'll, you know i'll tell you how much of a beginner i was i got the gi joe job and uh I was so nervous about losing it that Michael Bell offhandedly mentioned he was giving a class in uh, cartoon uh, voiceovers, and I signed up. Hell yeah! <laughs> so I would That's be awesome. I would be at Michael Bell's class at night, and the following morning we'd show up to do an episode <laughs> of GI oh, Joe, and uh, you know <laughs> I would be using stuff that I learned last night. <laughs>
2: did he ever kind of give you a look like hey we just uh
1: (laughs) well no there was one moment i remember uh we were in class and this kid was doing a scene and he was supposedly being menaced by a giant tiger love it and he starts in and michael says hold it hold it hold it uh if there really was a giant tiger here would you be slouched down with your hands in your pockets he says, you've got to act the thing physically. And the kids said, well, there's no camera. And, <laughs> and Michael yes. said, you have to use your body because, believe me, it will bring things out of the voice. Strike a pose like, oh, there's a, there's a, there's a giant cat about to eat me. You know, this kind of <laughs> thing. And, and, and it'll come out in your voice. And, and I'm, I'm taking notes. Yeah. And, so I get we, the next morning we're doing G.I. Joe and Michael's playing a scene where he's in peril and it sounds perfect and I glance over at him and he slouched down with his hands <laughs> in his pockets. <laughs> so the next, when we got to a break I said hey Michael what about the hand he, said, oh, he laughed he says you caught me you caught
5: me <laughs> He
1: said, look, I've been doing this long yeah. enough where I could be, you know, lying on a couch and it would sound okay. But he said, you guys who are just getting started, yeah. you need to do all these things. And someday you'll be able to.
2: That's so great. I mean, when, when, when at that point, when you're Michael Bell, oh, <laughs> then you, can, you can get away with some
1: stuff. Uh, Michael Bell, at one point, I mean, he was a Clark Gable of voiceovers because he was not only hugely successful in animation... He did more damn commercials than oh, yeah. y- you could imagine. He mm. was I remember one night we were watching television, my wife and I, and I had mentioned Michael Bell and she said when he comes on, would you let me know because I, mean, uh, I want to know what his voice sounds like? The next commercial break, I swear they were th- he was in three of the commercials that, <laughs> that, that played in that one break. I mean, do you know how much you have to be working to have wow. that happen?
2: <laughs> Wasn't he the voice of Parquet Butter? Am yeah. I yeah. mistaken
5: about oh, really?
1: Parquet Margarine, yeah, oh. Margarine, excuse yeah. me, yeah. butter, 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 Parquet, <laughs> Oh my Parquet. god, that's hilarious! Yeah. yeah, somebody told a story once about. Michael coming in and was was angry and what's what's the problem, Michael? He's I just came from the stupidest audition. They made me say butter over and over again. You know. So little, little did he know that he was about to make a fortune. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's, it's just. Um, we've
4: we've talked to Buzz and and uh, Christy Marks. We talked to her about a little bit about this about the Deke years of GI Joe, oh, which boy. we are not fans of, and neither were Buzz and Christy. Uh, and one of the things that's so frustrating is not seeing any of the characters that we had grown to love, and not hearing any of the voice actors that we we liked. So were you? approached at all about doing it or not
1: no it just it just kind of ended and um you know I, I was we were aware or i was aware that there was some sort of a follow-up show but no i was not approached or involved i did work on some deke stuff over the years but not Wait, that. which deke shows uh, oh i'm trying to think um we have a
2: very special relationship with deke shows on this yeah. uh, i believe it was expressed by christy Marks. Uh, she referred Deke as "Do It Cheap."
1: Yeah, <laughs> I think it, uh, did they do Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling? Boy, I oh, want
4: to say that they absolutely we, did. We, we yeah, did an, yeah, an episode so of that.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Well, I was uh, Mean Gene Okerlund. Mean Gene,
2: that's right. Oh, that's
4: awesome. <laughs> yeah. Very so cool. So that that
1: was a Deke project. And, How does uh, that differ
3: uh, having to do someone whose voice already exists versus creating your own?
1: Well, then then you're just trying to do an impression, you know. And uh, Oakland has a deeper voice than I do, but he's an ex-broadcaster. Mm. As you will read in the book, <laughs> when I first tried to break into voiceovers, the first agent I talked to listened to my, he liked the animation reel, as I mentioned, but then I played the commercial reel for him, <clears throat> and he glared it. He, he listened to about 40 seconds of it. Snapped it off, glared at me, and then what? in the same tone of voice you'd use to say, child molester. <laughs> he said, you sound like a goddamn radio announcer. <laughs> I said, well, I, I kind of am. You know? I said, You're going to have to get over that fast. They don't want that. You know? And uh, so with the mean Gene Okerlund, I finally actually got paid to sound like a goddamn radio
2: announcer. <laughs> What an easy gig, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: No, well, what happened was I went in to read for the wrestling show, and it was all these wrestling guys. They've all got voices like this. Well, I can sort of fake that, but, you know... In- ten minutes my throat will be gone and i said you really need to hire guys who naturally sound like that you know well try it anyway and then i see that there, there's a picture of oakland I saw so i could do this guy oh he's probably not even going to be in the show don't worry about it here do uh <laughs> you know uh, haystack uh, hill, haystack <laughs> calhoun or whoever <laughs> yeah. it is. Yeah. and i begged him and begged him to let me audition for uh, for me and Gene. They finally said, oh, all right. You know, I got one take and they Mm -hmm. threw me out. What are they so angry about? I, (laughs) My goodness. (laughs) 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 But, But he he ended up in every show. Maybe just one line, but that's all it takes. But he was always Mm -hmm. the
2: guy giving the exposition because whenever they needed to move the story forward, he'd just show up with a microphone and interview somebody to take us to the next scene. That's an essential guy on the show. (laughs) Especially that show.
1: Uh, Did you know I was also Hector Ramirez? (gasps) Oh, yes.
4: I didn't know that.
1: Who I think holds the distinction of being the only character who was in both G.I. Joe Transformers and... In humanoids. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And almost My Little Pony. Almost My Little Pony. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and I, I think he was connected... in Gem a couple of times. I was going to say.
4: I was going to say also. And Gem. I was
2: wondering if he was on Mask as well because I know they were trying that. He was the uh, uh, the linchpin that held all these universes. Like he yeah. was the center point of all of these different universes, which connected them. together. They all take
4: place in the same universe. Yeah,
2: yeah. Which, which yeah. is, I I love that fact. Like the fact that it's a shared universe of sorts, no matter how. Uh, completely weird and different all the different worlds are you have this character between them all who's who's an asshole <laughs> <laughs> that always brought
1: me joy yeah I guess it was supposed to be a parody of Geraldo Rivera oh I, yeah I, I didn't make any attempt to sound like her I don't even know how to sound like Geraldo you wouldn't want to do that anyway. yeah yeah, yeah.
2: Um, one question that I had as a follow-up I mentioned earlier but uh, you've done a lot of video game work as well and yeah. uh I know there's a ton of animation work and a ton of commercial work, but sort of the new frontier, and it has been for a few years, is the wide world of video games. In fact, you did uh, the voice of the Codex mm-hmm. in uh, the trilogy, mm-hmm. the Mass Effect trilogy, Gina. I don't oh. know if you've heard of this. <laughs> I'm trying to get Gina to play it. I,
4: I have all of them. I just need to set up the system.
2: There we go. <laughs> um, but wh- how is it different? Because is there just a lot more lines that you have to do for a video game, or is it is it more like an audiobook, or what's that like?
1: Well, of course, the Codex narrator was not a typical a typical game, game uh, role yeah. um it, it's odd you there's no plot line <laughs> and you're not working with other actors you're essentially doing lines sort of in the in the clear there's no yeah. as i there's no story that's moving the moving it along and so uh it's it's actually a lot of the the times that i spent with wally were very helpful for game work because you learned to to play a particular emotion ra- rather than needing to know a, a whole lot about the plot I, I it's hard to describe but it's like a good actor and it's hard to believe that one would a good actor would exist who had never seen or heard of Hamlet, Mm -hmm. but let's say a a great actor exists who really had never read that play, knew nothing about it. You could say, listen, memorize this speech. Basically, the character's terribly conflicted. He doesn't know what to do. He can't decide it's driving him crazy. He's thinking about committing suicide, but what if there's an afterlife and he's punished for it? That's all you need to know. (laughs) That actor could do a pretty good job of to be or not to be without knowing anything else about the plot of Hamlet. He'd be better, obviously, if he had. And it's sort of like that. You have to just look at each line on its own individual merits. say, okay, this is obviously fear-based. I need to portray fear. This is anger. This is whatever. Because in a lot of cases, the director doesn't even know really what's going on. Why am I saying this? Well, I don't really know, you know. I don't know, but we already drew it, so yeah, get out And, there. <laughs> and, and so you, you, you're acting in a vacuum. I compare it sort of to actors now who have to use a green screen. Instead of this wonderful set of the castle, they have to imagine it, and they're standing in front of a green screen. And that, that's kind of the, the way the game thing is. It's... Uh, it's an odd thing. And then, of course, there's all the, at the end of the thing when you've done everything you think. You turn the page, and there's one last page. Oh, my God. And dies horribly, small, medium, large. Thrust sword, small, medium, large. And a lot of uh, younger actors are so embarrassed they don't quite know how to do this. But, of course, working with Wally uh, I got over any of those kind of
5: things
1: <laughs> years ago. Wally went through a period where he ta- He came up with this concept called body English, which body English, if you know, it's like when you're bowling and you roll the ball and then you stand there in the alley shoving your ass out trying to <laughs> influence what the ball does. I you know, know that feeling very yeah, well. Yeah. That's, that's body English. But what Wally meant was sort of grunts of effort. And he got really into it. And it's like, anytime your character did anything physical, he's like, eh, give me some body English as you pull the sword out. <laughs> <You> know? <laughs> one, one time we're doing, uh, uh, I forget the show, but anyway, uh, we finished and uh, Peter Cullen uh, comes up to me and he says, you know, every time I work with Wally, when I'm through, I uh, get out my car keys and I uh, open the door and I... Uh, I'll put the key in the ignition and start the car. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, you know, any hang-ups about uh, dying uh, from a stab wound, small, medium, and large? I, uh, I just 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 roll the tape or whatever it is you're doing there. <laughs> I'll do it. You know,
2: that's fantastic. Um, I don't know if I have any more questions for the moment, you guys. You no, that was
4: great.
3: Why are we not talking about press your luck?
2: Okay, fine. Oh, Excuse yeah. me, we'll cut this part so Chan can ask this next question.
3: <laughs> Chan? No, that's it. That just, that just we'll see. I mean if we're talk I mean if we're talking about like the the things that uh like uh had an impression on me in
1: childhood <laughs> yes. friggin' press your luck. Uh, yeah, I you know, I was never really a big game show watcher. Um I d I don't know if I ever watched the original Press Your Luck. Oh. But um yeah, this has been a fabulous opportunity. It fell in my lap after thirty plus years of voiceovers. I had never done a game show, ever, hmm. and suddenly this popped up. And what a wonderful gift! And it's coming back this summer. What are, What were they looking for? Like,
3: did they ask for you, or were they like uh,
1: your agent? Mm, no, it was just a uh, piece of audition copy that uh, my agent sent me, and
5: they
2: sent like pictures of the whammies, and they just said. You know, figure it out. Or?
1: No, it was the intro to the show. The intro
2: to the show. Yeah. See, I don't know actually what you did for Press Your Luck. I don't. So Chance, Chance I'm, got me here.
1: Uh, I'm not. Uh, you know, really, you only hear me at the beginning and the end. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: That's fair. I, I think of Press Your Luck, and I think of I didn't even I, yeah, I didn't even think about an
1: announcer. <laughs> oh, and I'm also the whammy. I always forget to mention. Thank
3: you, that. So okay. Thank you. <laughs> <With the H. laughs>
1: but I mean, it, it, you know, it could be anybody because I go up really high. And then they tweak it some more. Do yeah, they spin it? Yeah. So, I mean, it wow. could—you know—it could be Eleanor Roosevelt. <laughs>
4: so you've done everything: game shows, radio, video games. Yeah, I
1: don't think cartoons. there's. I've never announced bus departures. Oh. <laughs>
4: Anyone listening who has a hookup?
2: Yeah. <laughs> Any, anybody at Baltimore bus uh, lines? Yeah, to get you in here. The Port
4: Authority. <laughs> <laughs> Is there any
2: one gig that you know or a, a medium that you've wanted to do that you haven't done, or have you pretty much been there and, and got the T shirt? Yeah.
1: As far as voiceovers, no, I mean there's 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 really nothing that I can think of. Probably the the part of my career that was the thinnest was promos. I never mm. broke into that in any kind of a big way. But that's okay because guys who do get successful in promos end up doing nothing else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And really to me, it's, it's got to be boring mm-hmm. because essentially they like your drama read, they like your comedy read, and you just, you just do that over and over again, plugging in different show names and actor names. You're, re- you're doing the same read over and over and over again, and I would find that incredibly boring.
2: Mm-hmm. There, there's a gentleman I met um, uh, many lifetimes ago. And his one, like, big thing was he was the guy on the radio commercials who said, Anheuser-Busch, St. Louis, (laughs) Missouri. And that was it. Like, that was his whole (laughs) gig. And he was just trying to figure out non-vocal things Mm. to do because he didn't want to do that anymore. (laughs) He'd he'd done fine with the Mm Anheuser-Busch thing and Mm -hmm. made enough money from it that he was like, well, I'm having a hard time getting other vocal gigs because Mm. this one is really, to what you said, they only want me to do more promo stuff. And that's not what I want to do. Hmm. Hmm.
1: So I mean the promo people God love them They make a fortune Sure but, uh, I, I think it's I've had more fun I think
5: mm-hmm.
2: Yeah
1: Bouncing around Oh I at, bet you have Yeah You know Narrations I love that uh, got, got to do a bunch of novas And for public television It's so great mm. I'm doing some stuff for Jet Propulsion Laboratory now. I love, oh, I love cool. narrating. Yeah, yeah.
2: So if wow. we go into JPL right now and just press the button on the gyroscope, your voice is just going to start spinning up. <laughs> no, <me what's laughs> <happening. clears
1: throat> this is a series they're doing on the history of JPL. and oh, okay. it's awesome. It's close to being completed and when it is, it'll be available somehow. On, they're going to make it available online somehow. Oh, wow.
4: Very cool. Uh, yes,
1: watch this, this space. But <laughs> yeah. I'm very proud of, of, of being able to do that because, I mean, the JPL's, Story is astonishing. You find out what what's involved in trying to put a complicated little rover on Mars. Uh-huh. I mean, whew, <laughs> it's a it's an amazing story. Yeah, the, yeah. The things they've to, done up there.
4: Did you have you guys ever toured it?
3: No, I've, I've never yeah. been there. Yeah, oh, they do that I once mean. a year tour. <laughs> Yeah, yeah,
4: yeah. They they got us when I was when I was working on regular show. I I write for I write I'm a TV writer and I one of the cartoons that I wrote for they we did a season where they were in space and they used it to justify giving all of the all of us a tour of JPL. So we got a private tour and it was very cool.
2: You need you need that important information. Yeah, to yeah. Make yeah. Sure you, it was it was it basically
4: it was basically our boss being like, "Do you guys should we try and get a free tour of JPL out of Cartoon Network?" <laughs> <laughs> it was a fun field trip.
1: <laughs> I I had an interesting thing happen. I recorded one of these shows and they were talking about this mission where almost everything failed but they managed to salvage the mission but only the only thing that saved it was this reel-to-reel tape recorder that was on the on the piece of equipment that they'd sent to mars or wherever wherever it was and i asked uh, the guy i was working with uh, about this reel-to-reel and he said oh you want to see it Uh, come in here I mean, it wasn't the one that went to Mars, sure. obviously, but it was, they, what they do is when they make a, a vehicle of any kind, they make two. One goes to Mars. The other one, if there are problems, they can troubleshoot with, oh. with, with an actual thing well, that, that, is, that is identical to the thing that's having a problem on its way to Mars. And so here was this, this little tape wow. recorder, and I thought, oh, my God. <laughs> and that's exactly what it looked like, and wow. Wow. Very and cool. he was able to just walk me in there in like two minutes. You know, <laughs> they had it on display.
2: Oh, these smart people. <laughs> yeah, it, <Wow. laughs> yeah. yeah. Very
4: cool. That's awesome.
2: That's great. Well, Neil, um, thank you so much for talking with us right here. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the book again, okay. real quick. How can people at home get their own copy, assuming that it's not the lucky person who we're sending a copy yeah. to?
1: The simplest thing to do is get out, uh, get on the interwebs. And go to uh, www.neilbook.com. Www.neilbook, Okay. And it has all kinds of links. You can find the book on Amazon and Audible. Uh, if you remember the title, Vocal Recall. Vocal
2: Recall.
4: We'll yep. post a couple of links to it on oh, our absolutely. social media yeah. as well. Yeah. So, anyone listening, if you want to just go to the Facebook page or the Twitter page, we'll, we'll post some there. We'll put the links and to by those. We, items I mean, later. Ray. It'll
2: but be- if <laughs> all else
1: fails, NeilBook.com.
2: NeilBook.com seems yeah. like the easiest place yeah. to go get yeah. it. I mean, for sure. Um, and, and do you have any other. Uh, Things you want to plug? Or any uh, uh, projects or any good stuff well, that you want to tell us about?
1: Assuming the the coronavirus doesn't put <laughs> an end to civilization, I'm going to be at the Garden State Comic Fest at the end of June. Awesome! Cool. In poison. Cool, and cool. that's going to be in Morristown, New Jersey. I, hey, think, it's, I think it's the twenty seventh and twenty eighth, whatever the last weekend of June is.
4: That's like five minutes from where I live. I'm going to tell my parents to go. <laughs> and and you
2: famously uh, tell me if I'm getting this horribly wrong, but you've dressed as shipwreck to attend GI Joe conventions. Yes, yes before. I have. I was uh,
1: wondering
4: because you actually kind of look like him.
1: Well, that's what gave me the idea. Uh, yeah, you know, so actually, one particular guy came up to. The booth at uh, one of these shows, and he said, You know, unlike al- almost everybody else here, you kind of look like that character. <laughs> he said, I bet if you dressed up like that, people would just go nuts. And I, I said, thought, I, I guess I'll try it. So I I, I drove all the, all over L.A. to every army surplus place that exists. <laughs> I haunted the supply sergeant, you know, and, uh, and I managed to put together the outfit.
4: Wow, that's awesome.
2: And the commitment to the role, you have a giant anchor tattooed on your forearm now as well. <laughs> I mean, I think this is just commitment
4: to the bit and I appreciate it. Are that. there photos of you dressed up somewhere?
1: uh yeah i'm trying to i'm trying to think where people might access i have put them on online on facebook but
4: i bet if i bet if we google maybe we can find out the pictures
1: are <laughs> yeah. on the internet yeah somewhere. yeah That's everything fantastic. always is
4: and you yeah. have the and when is the do you know when the jpl documentary is coming out? unfortunately i don't okay
1: i i think it it's probably going to be within the next year or two. We still got a couple left to do, as I understand it. But.
2: Okay. Well, when it does, we'll definitely be aware of yeah, it, and we will put yeah. it out there for everybody
1: as well. Well, I will certainly put it all over Facebook. Yeah, that's, that's where I'll probably see a yeah. lot of
2: things yeah, to begin with. yeah. Kidding. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, Well, Neil, thank you so much. A couple of links for the show. Uh, First off, everybody, thank you so much for listening to the show. I hope you've enjoyed this this walk down the lane with Neil Ross. This has been a lot of fun. This has been a lot of fun for us. I hope it was a lot of fun for you. Oh, yeah. I hope
1: I wasn't too verbose. No,
5: No, no. we
2: love it. Well, uh, uh, it's honestly true that when we have uh, vocal talent on the show, we prefer it when they talk. So that worked out very, very well, I think, for everyone involved.
1: I, I'm, I can rise to the occasion on the occasion. yeah.
2: Right, so, everybody, go to NeilBook.com and get your own copy as well. If you'd like to do some of the stuff we're talking about, you can always hit us up Facebook.com slash Knowing is Half the Podcast or Patreon.com slash Knowing is Half the Podcast. You can reach out to us for a few bucks. You can suggest TV shows and episodes that we could do, as well as get access to our super secret vault that now has over, what, 370 episodes of this show in it? Really? Just, just the vault? Uh, just the vault. Wow. Well, the vault has literally everything I, I, I didn't hold oh, anything okay, back okay. I put everything we've ever done in the vault okay I <laughs> thought that was like really extra
4: stuff. stuff and then I, I had an it existential was. crisis about what we've been doing with our lives <laughs> for the past four years no <laughs> you're not wrong to have that <laughs>
2: trust me uh, but you can go to patreon.com uh, slash knowing is half the podcast and for five bucks a month get access to everything and have a good time with it and engage uh, we we haven't done this in a while so I'm gonna guarantee we do it right now but a chat on discord uh, where you can ask questions and hang out and have fun for an hour where we're on lunch or something i don't know we'd have fun with it we just want to hang out with the people that's really what it's (laughs) all about out there, uh, You can also hit us up on Twitter. Uh, Neil, are you on Twitter? Do you have any uh, social media you mm-hmm. want to plug?
1: All I got is Facebook. Okay. okay, That's, that's not, it.
2: That's all you really
3: need.
1: That's fine. Yeah.
2: But we're on Twitter, at G.I. Joe Podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you can hit me up individually. I am at Almighty Ray. At
3: 999 RPMs.
4: I'm at Gina Ippy. And
2: that's the end of the episode. Uh, Neil, have any like uh, uh, sayings or lines or quotes that you'd like to take us out
1: with today? And now you know, and knowing is half the cumquat. Um, uh, <laughs> i'll I... take it
4: <laughs> oh that's gonna be our new our new intro oh, to the
5: show
0: you you've got to stand tall when it comes down go, to the wire go, go. you've got to play rough when you cross the go, line go. of fire
3: Keep it gripping, with the whole on go, tight go. You got to do the fighting
5: with all of your might go. You got to keep the target straight ahead in your go, side
0: Hey, it's Brent Pope, the host of Breakfast with Brent Pope. You've seen me on some of your favorite TV shows saying things like, Give it up, Jimmy, you gotta sink this putt to win. Or, I wouldn't jump up and down until we stabilize the hydraulics. On Breakfast with Brent Pope, I sit down with guests from the entertainment world, working actors, comedians, writers, stunt people, you get it, and we do it all over breakfast, or should I say, Brentfast? Every week is a new episode of Breakfast, and here's what you get. Inside Hollywood info, like, how cool is it to act with Ed O'Neill? Spoiler alert, it's really cool. And what the heck is a gaffer? You get great breakfast wrecks and foodie debates, like, when should you go hash browns and when do you go home fries? I know the answer to that. Trust me, my pancake posse, my bacon brigade. Listen up, because breakfast is the most delightful 30 minutes of your week. So dig in, it's breakfast time. Breakfast with Brent Pope, available at breakfast.com, Apple Podcasts, or wherever fine podcasts are found.